couple things uh, as we go in. Don't forget, if you are going on the motorcycle ride today, be here at 1 p.m. We're going to head up to Oceano for lunch and back, so it's not a long trip. It's a nice little short trip. 1 p.m., uh, hopefully all the smoke and stuff in the air doesn't you know make it so you can't breathe anywhere. The second thing is that uh, next week in all, there's uh, the Kenya mission trip, barbecue, rummage sale, fundraiser thing for the people who are going to Kenya. If you would like a barbecue ticket to come down and help them out next week, you can get one at the Welcome Center in the back. If you're looking just to rummage through some stuff, my wife loves garage sales. drives me crazy, but she loves garage sales. So you can come down and, and check out the rummage sale as well, and that's, that's next Saturday morning. And I would encourage all you guys to do that. Uh, if you are new or newer to Element, uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables. They look like this. On the inside, like Christy said, on one side, there is the notes for this morning with some questions to go a little deeper. On the other side, there is the Planting Roots remix with a link if you want to watch a shorter, well, shorter than the sermon anyway, a shorter video of that and kind of walk through some of the questions with that. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. You can click on more and then events in you version will come up by gps in your smartphone you'll get sermon notes versus questions all that goes along with today's message why don't you stand with me reading god's word this is acts 10 verses 13 through 15 and it says and there came a voice to him rise peter kill and eat but peter said by no means lord for i have never eaten anything that is common or unclean and the voice came to him again a second time what god has made clean do not call common Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us as a people what it means to live with the common vision of who you are in our lives, that we would live our lives for you in every aspect of it, not just one day a week or a few hours a week, but every day of every moment, lifting you up, that you would gain great glory and your people would live in great joy. Amen. Have a seat. This is Acts week 29. We are one week away from the big 3-0. I know you're not excited about that, but the big three O is when like people start having their midlife crises and they just whatever. They all think they're getting old. I, I'm way past thirty, so my life is just all crisis. That that's how it works. Uh, today I'm going to play on the title of this message, which is a common vision, in such a way that hopefully by the time we get to the end of this, you'll understand the pun that I made, and it will mean different things. I think it's sad I got to give you 30 minutes of a message to get there, but that doesn't say anything about you. That just talks about me and my sense of humor, so we're okay. We're going to talk about today is something we talked about at Easter like five years ago, but it all comes back to what's happening with Peter in the book of Acts. Now, last week I told you that John, the guy who normally does the sermon notes, said that I was going to get blank stares from you last week. He comes up to me after the service and says, oh, no, no, that wasn't this week. That's next week, which is this week. So he thinks I'm going to lose you this week. So I'm going to say a few times, following, are you following me? I'm just... Make sure we're following and we'll see where we go. We are spending the better part of our year going through the book of Acts for a few reasons. One of them is many of you will not spend the rest of your life in Santa Maria. It is very sad, I know. You may get covered with ash from all the smoke because it's on fire and California is going to burn and 
you may need to go somewhere else. And if you do, we want you to find a church where you go that centers on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are taking 36 weeks to discuss what the church should look like, give you some things to look for in a church no matter where you go or move to. And again, no church ever does this perfectly. Element doesn't do this perfectly. You know that if you've been around here any length of time. But we can strive to grow closer to what the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to. And these weeks are to help us to do that. Secondly, we want to look at how the early church started, see how they persevered through trials and struggles and hardships to become the church that we link our legacy to today. And we've seen multiple times over the few weeks here that God in Acts continues to push his church outward, 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 not inward. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Today, uh, the modern church seems to all be about how to make people comfortable in their complacency. How just to keep all the masses happy. Say things that you like so people will like coming and they will attend. And nobody will cause waves and the church gets money and the seats get filled. And How wonderful is that? It's not. Christianity is meant to be more than that. If you have ever walked out of here with something I said, not trying to crack a joke, but something I seriously said and you were offended, that's probably a good thing. Because that means you have to wrestle with it and walk through it and figure out what's happening, not just with the early church and element, but in your life and what God is doing in your life. What we want is a common vision that Jesus is lifted up in all things and to help see how that's lived out in our lives as we come into contact with those around us, especially as we live in gospel-centered community. So God has been showing his apostles that he is bigger than the Jews. He is bigger than Jerusalem. He is bigger than you. He is bigger than me. He has shown them that women and the lame and eunuchs and Greeks and even murderers are loved by God and they can all be redeemed. And today, God's going to push that further in Peter because not just today you're going to look at uh, God saving Gentiles, you're going to look at also saving a Roman. And that's a big deal. So Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. By the time we finish today, we're going to go all the way through verse 43. That's a lot of verses for me to cover. And you know how I like to talk. So, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So Rome at this time, they rule the whole known world. They were brutal, they are mostly hated in a lot of the places that they ruled, and yet the first Roman you meet in the book of Acts, he is this blue-collar, down-to-earth guy who actually comes to love the God of the country that he is stationed in. He wins the respect of not only Rome, but his soldiers and the Jewish community around him. That is saying a lot. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision. That means a sight that is given by God. It's kind of like one of the dreams of the Old Testament. Uh, In a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. Now, how does he respond when the angel shows up? It says, and he stared at him in terror. That is exactly how it should be when an angel shows up. She'd be like, oh, hey, what's up, angel? We should be like, ah! That's him. I like that. And he said, what is it, Lord? And it just reminds me of like a Mel Brooks skit. Just, just a, and he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now Joppa is where we last left Peter at the end of chapter 9. 
Verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Here you go, the same thing. It's like this dream. And he saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never never eaten anything that is common, and this becomes the word profane, or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. That's a number of completeness. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, basically what God is doing is God is telling Peter that all the things that have separated him from everybody else, you're a Jew, you can't eat this, you can't go there, you got to wear these kind of clothes, all those things are taken away in Jesus. His, his dress, his dietary laws, what's clean and unclean is all done in the person of Jesus. So you probably feel like, okay, I get that. I don't think you really get that. So we're going to take some time to walk through what that means. Open your Bibles to Exodus 25. Stay in Acts 10 because we're coming back. Got lots of verses to finish. We go to Exodus 25, second book in the Bible. Here God is giving some instructions on how to build the temple, the tabernacle. Genesis or Exodus 25, starting in verse 8, says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So that's God talking. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture so, that, so you shall make it. Early in the story of these people being led out of slavery in Egypt as they're walking through the desert, God says, make me a house. Make me a tent like you have, a holy place, and I will dwell there. God will live with his people just as they live in tents. He's going to live among them. Go to Exodus 28, probably a page or two over in your Bible. There's actually 15 chapters on how to build this thing, so, so it's a lot. Exodus 28, verse 1 says, Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. So there is a specific way you've got to build God's house. And then there are special people who will serve in that house. And then there are special clothes that these people get to wear in that house. And it goes on verse after verse with these garments. Uh, chapter 28, verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place. So in this temple, there are places that are actually holier than other places. So you've got temple, people, clothes, different places in this temple. Exodus 29, verse 5. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. I love that. It's got to be skillfully woven. It is not just woven. I like to call this the Richard Simmons armband because it is skillfully, skillfully woven. I can't scarcely, whatever. So you have temple, clothes, people, Richard Simmons armbands. What else you got? Okay. 29 verse 6, it hats. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. Temple, peoples, clothes, hats, places in the temple. There's also how do you cook the food or the sacrifices that are in the temple. Exodus 29 verse 31 talks about this. You've got sacred emblems and sacred garments and sacred hats and sacred undergarments and sacred places to cook. Verse 33 of chapter 29, They shall eat those things which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration, but an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. They are holy. Go to chapter 30 verse 25. 
And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. So there's even holy oils. There's holy perfumes. And it might be confusing, but I'm going to explain it to you so you get it. Now, the Hebrew word for holy or sacred is the word kodesh. And it means set apart, consecrated. It's different from everything else. It means it is meant to be distinguished from the other. Like there are my clothes and there's your clothes, but then there are the priestly clothes and those are different. You know, there's, there is my house and there is your house, but then there is God's house and it's completely different. There is my beanie and your hat, but then there is the hat that these priests get to wear. There is my cologne and your axe body spray, and then there is the cologne that they get to wear. It's different. Are you following? Okay, it's different. The next book in the Bible is called Leviticus. If you want to flip over there, you can. I know you all have it memorized anyway because it's your favorite book. In the Bible, Uh, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 is an explanation for all these sacred holy things that are listed, sacred house, clothes, food, hats, people, oil, all this. It says this, you are to distinguish between the holy, that's the word sacred, and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. Why is all this stuff? So that you can distinguish. Peter's sitting on the roof, and he said, nothing common has ever passed my lips. I have never eaten anything unclean. I have been true to the things that I've read in the scriptures. So here, what you have is a differentiation of physical space and physical things. You have the common, and then you have the build me a temple. So there is space that is different than normal, regular space. There is the place where we live our lives, the common area. But now, there is a place that is sacred and holy and different than regular space. This is different than the average every day. This place is Holy. There are actually gradients of that holy. There is holy, holier place, most holy place, holy of holies. And these two realms are distinguished between unclean and clean, common and sacred. One realm, that's for everybody. That's, that's the common. But then there's a select few who get to go into the sacred place. And they do that. They wear sacred garments and hats and emblems and eat sacred food. They use sacred utensils to offer sacred gifts in the sacred place. There's two realms. Leviticus tells you, distinguish between the two realms. Now, when we today hear the word profane, we normally think of this word as certain words in movies that give it certain ratings that you can't go to if they have this rating without your parent because they said these words in this movie. The word profane in Greek is koinos. In Hebrew, it is this word babylos. And it literally means in its roots to cross the threshold. To profane something is you take it from a place that is sacred and you cross the threshold and move it into a place that is simply common and ordinary. Let me, let me give you probably the biggest one in our day today, uh, sexuality. Okay, the dignity of human beings. So you take something God has reserved for something sacred like marriage... And then you simply kick it around in the dirt with no commitment attached to it, friends with benefits, Netflix and chill, that profanes it. You take something that was meant to be here, and we have moved it here. The ancient world, this is how they saw everything, common and sacred. But we do that too. Like you never look at the Oscar red carpet and see anybody walking down it in a t-shirt. It doesn't happen. When people get married, they dress up because you want to look better than you normally do because it's different. It's different. There's something different about different spaces. Now, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, first book in the New Testament. 
We're going to look at what Jesus does with this understanding of reality, of this special set apart space, then the rest of our lives. Special occupations, tasks, works, calling, then the rest of us. Like certain things you can only say in certain places, but you can't say it other places because it's not right. It happens to me all the time up here. Okay, you chapter 12, this is key in here. It's going to talk about the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is another one of these sacred things. It's a holy day that was set apart and different. Matthew 12, starting in verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So it starts, boom, sacred holy day. Something's going to happen. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath, the sacred holy day. Now, here you see one of the central jobs that religion thinks their job is, to point out everybody else's error. It's like, I see you! How dare you! And they get all offended by it. That's They're going to hold that split worldview. We're just going to hold on to that. We've got rules and codes. Verse 3. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God, the sacred holy place, and ate the bread of the presence, that is the sacred food, which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests, the sacred people. Have you not read in the law, and that is the sacred book, the sacred book, and Pharisees are experts in the law. They know the law. So when Jesus says, have you, have you not read in the law? That's like a little dig. That's Jesus being a little funny. It's like a, a rap battle. Uh, no, he didn't. Haven't you read in the law? <laughs> no. Okay, whatever. How on the Sabbath, the sacred holy day, the priest, the sacred holy people, in the temple, the sacred holy place, profane, there's the word profane, the Sabbath, and are guiltless. That means they work on the Sabbath. Their job is set apart a little differently because they work on the Sabbath. I tell you, something greater than the temple, the sacred holy place, is here. Now, Jewish consciousness is shaped by the understanding of those two realms. The temple, that's the proper place to go and worship, and that is in Jerusalem. And there's an entire system that grows up around this, what's common and what's not. There is a center to the world. It is where God is. That's Jerusalem. That's how they center reality. And Jesus comes along and says, one greater than the temple is here. So who's Jesus talking about? Himself, exactly. You're in church. The answer is Jesus, right? So who is the center of the whole sacred common thing? Jesus. Who calls what's in and what's out? Jesus, exactly. And there's something happening that is greater than the temple. And then later, Jesus will actually use very volatile language to describe this. That's a joke because that was very volatile. In that, and you're like, yeah, whatever. Open your Bibles to John chapter 2. Jesus takes their most holy place, speaking of their holiest of holy things that you can imagine, to show and talk about himself and true reality. John chapter 2, verse 18, says this, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, the sacred holy place, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. It took him a while to realize that. It says, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So John, writing years after Jesus' death and resurrection, says, Oh, Oh, yeah, now I get it. Now we get it. So you have common and ordinary. Blood and your veins, your paycheck, your life, your work, sex, friendship, cars, how you laugh with your friends. Then you have holy, the very serious, God, church, Bible, communion, prayer, cookies, serious stuff. 
And when you're here at the serious place, you, can, you watch your conduct, you watch what you say. In one place you say, oh, you can't tell that joke here. In another place you say, oh, that was really funny. Tell me that joke again. It was hilarious. Jesus shows up and says, one greater than the temple is here. He then says, destroy this temple, which is interesting because it was destroyed 40 years after his resurrection. He says, and I will rebuild it. So he associates himself with the temple as being greater than it and that the whole thing is going to be destroyed and rebuilt. And he realizes this whole thing of this old system in an interesting way is going to be destroyed and then rebuilt in something new. And we talk about the gospel and we say all things are being made new in the person of Jesus because everything was made new and I'm almost where I need to go to get this. Go to Matthew chapter 27. I promise this is the last one. When I'm done, you're going to be like, oh, ding. It's going to be great. Matthew 27, Matthew gives a detail surrounding Jesus' death and a view that holds to this differentiation of physical space. In the temple, there is a veil or a curtain that separates the place where God is said to dwell in the temple. So you have holy, holy, holier, more sacred, more sacred, holy of holies. That's where God dwells. And they put a curtain or a veil there to separate it from everybody. Only the high priest went in there once a year. So it's separated. It's apart from everything else. Matthew 27, speaking of Jesus' death, verse 50 And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So Jesus died. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that separates everybody from the most holy place in the temple, the most sacred set-apart place, is torn from top to bottom from God to us. Matthew is a Jewish writer writing to a Jewish audience who are familiar with the arrangement of the temple. The temple guards people from entering into the most holy place for our own safety. That curtain, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Later writers of scripture will show that this says that people can now enter in to the most sacred space. But it also tells you that when you get to enter in, it has been split from top to bottom from God to us, meaning that God has also gone out, that God himself has crossed the threshold, that God has come to be in our common lives. You see, this goes both ways. There's Jesus, there's new access to God, and God comes out into the common places of our lives. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? You, yeah, common old you. You are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you. That is a monumental shift in people's perception of reality. Sacred, common, clean, everyday things, all of this stuff. But with Jesus, everything comes crashing down into a new reality because Jesus has made all things new, and the holy is now found in the common. God's spirit lives in you. The sacred has passed the threshold, now lives in the everyday. God's spirit lives in you. And that means that there's so much that we see, but so much more that we don't see. There is a reason why the New Testament calls people who believe in Jesus saints. Because God's Spirit has come in and He has made us holy. He has made us sacred in the common places of our lives. Now the point of us gathering together for a sermon or a message is always to glorify Jesus because it's always about Jesus. But in glorifying Jesus, we are meant to become more aware of Jesus in the common things. That everything in our lives is spiritual. And a lot of religions love to get together and talk about what sets them apart, their split world view. But we are called to be those who glorify Jesus, not just in holy places, but in every place, because Christ has gone out to everyone. 
a sermon that lifts up Jesus should expose us to where Christ is in the common, in the practical areas of our lives. And as Jesus grows in us, we begin to understand that everyone is an image bearer of God. Everyone is a creation of God. Every person has value in an infinite sort of way because the creator of all things made us in his image. And we should find it harder and harder to create categories of us versus them because you will have encounters in your entire life with people that Jesus called the least of these. And the least of these usually include your enemies. And you need to begin to see how Jesus wants you to move in all situations because he lives in you and has sent you in the common areas of your life to go in the common places of everybody else's life. This is what God is showing Peter. This is more than just about food. This is about God's grace being extended to all people. So go back to Acts chapter 10. God is helping Peter to get this. And Peter doesn't get it right away, but he's helping him. Acts 10, 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, so he's still processing it. When God starts talking to you and doing things in your life, it's okay if it takes you a little bit of time to get it. It's not like, you should have it all right now. It takes a little bit of time, and that's okay. Behold the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. This is also interesting because they didn't go inside the gate because the tanner's house is unclean. They're Gentiles, but they're adhering to Jewish rules. Like, I'm not going to, that's a tanner's place. I'll just stand right here and go, Peter! Okay, verse 18. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guest. The next day he rose and went with, away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. So he gets, he's so excited about this, gets everybody together. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. So he's got a ways to go, okay? You know he's got a ways to go. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And every time I read that, I just think it's like bones on Star Trek. You know, I'm a man. I'm not a god, Jim. No, I just saw the Star Trek. No, it just makes me, every time I, that's what I think. Stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me, when? Just a couple days ago, that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked why you sent for me. And Cornelius is going to give the entire story. Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He doesn't say, I peed my pants. He doesn't say that. It's great. And said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, who is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. See, God shows Peter the vision. He still is not really getting it. And now he begins to understand that is all about this. 
God has crossed the threshold because we are all unclean. We are all common. And God comes in to rescue and redeem us. Verse 35, But in every nation who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What Peter does is he preaches the good news of Jesus, that all things are made new to those who are unclean, common, and profane. That's what he does. Peter speaks of the life of Jesus, his death and his resurrection from the dead, because that is what cleans us. That is what gives us right standing before God. And for you and me, that is the only place that we really have real authority to speak for God. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You know, anything else other than that sometimes come to a place of unbelief and trying to twist God to make God our puppet. God is not part of your cause. The only place we get to speak in authority for Jesus is his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel, the good news of who he is. I think Peter remembers that Jesus said, the temple you have built, the animals that you have killed, the blood you have shed is all now unnecessary. It all finds fulfillment in Jesus. The temple was the place the Jews had that sin was atoned for. That is now in the person of Jesus. The temple was the place where people came and worshipped God. That is now in Jesus. The temple was the place where the priest interceded before God for people. That is now in Jesus, which the New Testament calls our great high priest. Jesus says to the religious leaders of the day, you have wasted your time thinking the temple, thinking a building can do for you what only I can accomplish. Now let's go back to what I talked about a minute ago. Let me ask you a question. Why do we actually gather here today? I think Jesus, right. But I also think that, that a good reason for this is we lift up Jesus together. And on a regular basis, it reminds us of how in Christ we enter in, that God steps over the threshold into the common places of the human heart. And one of my jobs for you is to do everything I can to heighten your awareness of Jesus in the common places. Because nothing in the end is common because everything is spiritual. In Genesis 28, there's this knucklehead named Jacob. He's running for his life. He profanes some sacred things, so he's running away. And in Genesis 28, he stops to sleep for the night. In verses 12 and 13, it says he dreamed just like Cornelius and just like Peter. And I will tell you, some dreams can be from God. I don't think every dream is from God. Like if it involves my first grade teacher, Mrs. Beetle, and some jumper cables and some frozen yogurt, I don't jump out of bed and write it down. It's not going to be that important. you know. But sometimes it's just the chili and you're very gassy. That's how it is. But God here wants to get a hold of Jacob. He wants to get a hold of Jacob. So he does it through a dream. And what he shows Jacob is this ladder that ascends to heaven and angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And what it shows is that God has come to earth. That God is the one who has been seeking Jacob even when Jacob is running away. And God says to Jacob, I am the Lord. He doesn't say, I'm one of the lords, but the Lord, period. He says, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. 
And when Jacob wakes up, he says this line, Genesis 28, verse 16. So Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. That's what it means to understand Christ in the common places of our lives. That he is in all those places, and many times we just didn't know it. I mean, what does it mean to grow? I think a lot of times being a disciple of Jesus means that we wake up and say, God has been here the whole time, and I'm the one who hasn't seen it. I'm the one who's been missing it. Maybe part of our definition of faith could be waking up to Jesus and all the normal parts of our lives. Because we have our, these lives today that we live, and it's like, oh, I, I got to pay my bills, and I got to water the lawn, and I got to eat my low cholesterol cookies, and I got to celebrate birthdays, and take out the trash, and go to work, and I got to sit in construction traffic, and I got to feed my dog, and pick up the dog poop, and then I, then I got to go home from work, and I got to answer my email, and I got to do all of these things. And then what we do is we take and we set aside a special day, a special day where we go to church, and we leave the commonness of our lives. And it's so easy for Christians to develop that mentality. Jacob wakes up and he says, in the middle of nowhere, in a very common place, surely the Lord was even here, and I was the one who did not know it. See, do we gather here to listen to me spout off? Do we gather so we can feel like we did our time and that we can say, oh, I thought he was better last week? Which I probably was, by the way. You know. Or do we gather together to listen with the assumption and expectation of hope that we will see and hear something and God will move in our hearts and our lives and wake us up in some way like he woke up Peter so that we would begin to live for Jesus on mission in the common areas of our lives? Do we gather to find God or is the point that God has been finding us? Because when we understand Jesus in the common places of our lives, our eyes are open to see that God is everywhere. Not like Star Wars theology, like, oh, he's in the rocks and the trees and you. Not like that, but that God has crossed the threshold. The sacred is in the common. Everything is now spiritual. Everything that we do in our lives is meant to be worship. How you interact with your family, how you work your job, how you drive your car. It's all meant to be worship. Nothing is common. In Scripture, God pursues Jacob, not the other way around, and that is the pattern of Scripture. Adam sins. God calls. Noah is godless. God gives him grace. Abraham's in Babylon. God comes. Jacob is looking for God. God's looking for Jacob. God comes to Cornelius. God comes to Peter. The Bible says God is seeking worshipers. That doesn't mean to get together and sing some songs. That means God is seeking people who will live out every moment of their lives in worship of who he is, that no one seeks after God. God seeks after us. And this is where we get words like predestination or election. They're theological words for these stories. That you and I are hopeless until God finds us, tugs at our heart, tracks us down. God doesn't give you a ladder and say, you know, climb like crazy because hell's hot and you better get this thing really quick and I covered it with the bacon grease. <laughs> God doesn't do that. The picture is that in Acts, that God has been initiating the entire time. If he hadn't, Peter and Cornelius would have been lost forever. God comes down into the common and promises nothing, nothing ever has to be the same again. Do you see why I call it a common vision? You got it now? Yeah, that was longer than 30 minutes. But hey, right? I mean, we understand Jesus in the common places of our lives. We also understand that he has given us a common vision to live for the gospel of Jesus Christ together in all things. And if you get it, then live it. Live it out. I mean, look in your own life. What things in your life do you call common? What things in your life do you say, oh, these things are unclean? What do you say, oh, well, this is over here, but this is spiritual over here? 
What things in your life need to begin to come together to understand everything in your life is spiritual? Everything. That you need to understand that the good news of Jesus, that he has died and risen from the grave, that he has rescued and made all things new, that that means every part of everything you do in your life is meant to be worship. I mean, this is the beautiful thing where God has been moving to in the book of Acts to move his people to this place, that they would begin to see Christ in the common, because in the end, nothing's common. Nothing. This is why we come to communion every week, where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grapes, which reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Why? So that we are a people who can be redeemed and saved. All things can be new. Our relationship with God can be restored again. And we can live and walk in his ways, taking Jesus into all the common areas of our lives. Because our God has redeemed and restored every single bit of us. And so we take communion to remind us of those things that our God has redeemed us. The band's going to come up. As they do, we invite you to take communion. Be some deacons in the back if you need prayer. If you have this split world view and you really can't begin to get past that, they would love to pray with you about that. If you have any prayer requests, they'd love to pray with you about those. But really, if you're in a place today and you, and you say, well, I can't see how this thing can be spiritual or sacred, then you know, have them pray with you about understanding what it means to understand Christ in the common places of our lives. There's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. You know, giving is a spiritual thing. You know, we work hard. We, we have uh, these, these hands and these brains and these bodies that we do to work and do things, and, and money comes in through that. That's not just common. That's meant to be worship. And so we give because God has first given to us. There's food in the back. Grab some to eat, meet some people, maybe take some sermon notes, uh, walk through some of the stuff with uh, the planting roots, but also go through the other side because half of that also deals a little bit about going a little bit deeper into this. And so we would, we would encourage you, you know, to go through those questions and begin to deal with some of that stuff. You know, what's common? What's sacred? How do you live so everything is spiritual? Because, you know, the Hebrews, they didn't even have a word for spiritual. Because everything was meant to be just our lives, period. There's not this duality. There is just one. And you are meant to be one person. I mean, our God is great. And he takes so much time to move his people back to the place where they understand that perfectly. So I would say, like Peter, I think hopefully today, you and I, we, we get it. We begin to understand and live and walk in that common vision. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to live and walk understanding you in our lives. That we would love and honor you in the things that we would consider common. That we would look at the normal everyday things and we would understand how those things can be worshipped just as much as going to a church service. I ask that you would teach us how our words to one another are meant to be flavored with grace and hope so that even the things that we say to one another can be a form of worship. I ask when we get together for, for parties and hanging out and enjoying company with each other, we would take a moment to step back and think, this is a gift of God. And we would even worship you in those moments. That we thank you for 
our food, for the places that we lay our head at night, for those around us that we love and that love us, and even the people that drive us nuts or we drive nuts. Because working through areas of reconciliation can also be worship. Teach us to be a people who knows that your spirit is in everything that we do. That our eyes would be open, that our hearts would be open, and that all of our lives be lived in worship of you in every area of our lives. Teach us and grow us into those things. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.